Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource for Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my friend and my colleague and my co-host and my comrade and my cohort and my co-conspirator, Ross Ferguson. As I say, we can see the skill of writing that's coming Ro- out of you. Every, every C you can think of that describes a, a co-worker of some sort. Ross, no middle name. No middle name. No middle name, Ferguson. Academic advisor to the stars. And happy-go-lucky on this Wednesday morning as we're recording. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if by the end of this year, am I going to have a longer intro title <laughs> than, than we have time for? Yeah. <laughs> it seems to extend every time. Well, you know, sometimes you got to pad a little bit. Yeah. You've got to make up some time. I'll tell you what I'm very happy about today. Okay. And th- our listeners won't be able to see this because I'm going to show you something. Uh, but I'm going to take my watch I'm off. Put my glasses on. And this is what I'm happy about. Whoa! I am. Got a little farmer's tan I'm going. a British tanned individual. There you go. <laughs> hey, speaking of British tan, they're talking about a uh, heat wave currently yes. in the UK. Do they have any idea, really? No. They're saying, I saw a tweet yesterday that said Americans have no idea about the heat wave or like they yeah. couldn't so, stand the heat wave. And I'm like, what? Have you well, been to Houston in well, July? <laughs> yeah, but Houston has AC. So oh, every home in the UK does not have AC. Okay. Unless you're a brand new modern building like last five years, which is very few. Yeah. No one has AC in the UK. And so they'll actually put, I'm laughing cause, okay. because now living in the States, this sounds funny. Well, it's not fun. Okay, this is going to sound weird now. I've set it up as funny. <laughs> <laughs> they have a death warning in the UK, which is when the heat gets so high because there's no AC, yeah. you're to check on your elderly neighbors. Uh, and so, it, you know, all I would say is I would challenge all Americans, imagine the heat you suffer and no AC. Yeah, well, the, there are Americans who can imagine that in the Northeast and the Northwest. So my home in Vermont did not have central air, mm. which to me was like, oh, we really are kind of going back to the little house on the prairie. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the Wi-Fi and electricity, yeah. no air conditioning. But of course, it only got hot, you know, yeah. there like maybe for yeah. a month and a half, something like that. So my that we always okay. get with people. Like here? Here. I like it at like 68. Oh, 69. that's it. I'm a 68. And Miriam's yeah. like, no, 70, 71. That's comfortable. I was like, that's warm. That's warm. I want yeah. cold. Yeah. So I'm a 68. I also live on campus and don't pay utilities. So you can crank it <laughs> I down. I can crank it down. <laughs> hey, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you guys, when I say you guys, you and some of the other, actually, you were the instigator. I was the instigator. Some of the Liberty Baptist Church Pastoral Training Center residents decided they were going to go see the new Fast. It's not even Fast and Furious anymore. No, nope. Fast. It's Fast. We're not even, we've lost Furious. <laughs> we're moving too fast to be Furious. Fast 10. Fast 10. And it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazingly bad. <laughs> I'd never seen a fast oh, movie. Yep. So this was my very first one, and I was very curious if I hadn't seen the first nine. <laughs> would you understand what's would going I understand on? What's going on? And the answer is yes. You can perfectly understand. Some of the backstory, maybe yeah. I didn't understand. I was like, why is that person with that person? Yeah. I didn't understand until later. I actually listened to a podcast. It was a humorous podcast yeah. about Fast 10. Where they explain that Michelle Rodriguez is not the mother of no. the little boy. No. I thought she was the mom. No, that's little Brian. Little Brian. <laughs> <laughs> that's little Brian. So that's a previous wife that uh, no. Vin Diesel had? No, that's what? his sister. Wait. So Brian is yeah. played by, and I can't remember the guy's name. Paul Walker. Paul Walker, this, yeah. who passed away. Yeah. And so Paul Walker and this, I can't remember her oh, name Oh, so now. the kid's not even the, Vin Diesel's son. No. 
Oh, I thought it was Vin Diesel. No. So Brian has a child called Little Brian, and Brian is no longer in the show. Right, right. So Little Brian is made as this kind of mini hero because it's carrying on Paul Walker's oh. kind of character of Brian. Yeah, I was trying so. to figure out. But yeah, no, no relation. It's okay. just Little Brian because he doesn't resemble either one, no. like Michelle Rodriguez no. or Vin Diesel. What I will say and is, I thought they're getting, they're blurring the lines of ethnicity. The here. first two or three films, it was about a serious thing. I love how at Fast <laughs> Ten they've just went, who cares? Like, let's just go crazy. It's ba- it's basically a superhero movie. That's what I had to feel like. Like, I, as I'm watching, it, I'm like, oh. If I can just understand this as a cartoon or a superhero movie, <laughs> then it becomes it's still funny, but it becomes less sort of egregiously. I mean, a small cars, a hundred hours <laughs> I mean, blowing up and survive. That's not even the the most unbelievable thing about <laughs> playing in the plane. Yes, that John was... C- there is a scene in which it looks like John Cena is carrying a kayak, <laughs> and he really bore, easily, by yeah, very easily. Well, that means John Cena, yeah. but it looks like he's carrying a kayak that's kind of wrapped in a tarp or something, and he gets onto a plane. He boards a, pa- a commercial plane with Little Brian, yep. And later they go down into the bowels of the plane, and it turns out what he was checking was a smaller plane, yeah. Which I don't think you can. I don't think that's TSA approved. Yeah, but it's you fast ten. You can't bring a smaller plane onto a. <laughs> you missed the movie where they went out into space with a car. And <laughs> All right, now we're getting. It's like the end of Greece where they so, fly away. And is that what it was? So I tried to get Miriam to watch the Fast and Furious series. She, I think she got to movie two and was like, "I'm out." <laughs> well, at the end of the movie, and I don't. I, this is a scene oh. where Vin Diesel goes down a dam. I'm not trying. Okay, to, I'm not, not trying the to end credits. Anything. You don't want to give the end credits. No, I'm not giving away the end okay. credits. But the end of the movie, that they, they he drives down a dam. He drives down. A dam. And they, of course, at the end of the, at the bottom of the dam, they go into the water. And yeah. I just said, if this car turns into a submarine, <laughs> I am out. And we all know it probably did. <laughs> it probably did at some point. But anyway, it was a good time. That song, I got good. home and Becky said, "How was the movie?" And I said, "It was terrible. I had a blast." Yeah, because yeah. we just made fun and laughed. To be all honest, time. the two things that will stick in my mind is one, every, we were like almost casting lots as to how many times they were going to say family and <laughs> you know faith. Just have faith. Yeah. But the one thing I was impressed with, I've never done this before, I had a pizza at at the cinema. So went to AMC, and they offer flatbread uh, flatbread (laughs) pizza. And I was never had a pizza at the cinema. I'm going to give this a go. And it was very tasty. So if we go again, I might have a pizza again. (laughs) You know, they're not a sponsor of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I'm used to like British cinemas where it's just... Pizza at the AMC theater. It only costs you 25 bucks probably (laughs) for a personal pizza. (laughs) But we had a blast. Yeah, we did. We did. Hey, today's subject is, what does revival look like? You know, on the For the Church podcast, we don't do hot takes. We do not. Uh, We've never done that. We've done what we call cold takes. So when something's in the media, in the popular discussion on social media, et cetera, we usually get around to it maybe about four months (laughs) after the interest has passed. When no one's interested. So when what was happening at Asbury was going down and people were like, oh, is this another revival at at Asbury? It was all over and it lasted about a week on social Mm -hmm. media. I I don't know what's going on at, at Asbury in particular. I thought, oh, we should really talk about this. Let's wait four months or whatever, <laughs> however long it's been. And from this recording, it'll probably be another month or two. So I just thought it. this is an important subject. It's mm-hmm. something that I think Christians wonder about, particularly Christians in the West wonder about, particularly American Christians wonder about quite a bit, because we have an idea of what revival would look like. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, this became the discussion. Is this really revival? Yeah. And, and how would we know what are the marks of 
revival. I'm wondering when the Asbury stuff was in the news or kind of in the social media, you know, tide churning, what were you thinking? Were you thinking? Were you skeptical? Were you optimistic? Were you? I, I think as a Scotsman, I'm generally skeptical of okay. all things. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I remember when it when it came up on the news. To be honest, the, the first thing I thought was, "Isn't that cool? Hmm. Isn't it cool that students are coming together yeah. praising God?" And I didn't really connect it with revival. I, I just my initial thoughts was. That's fantastic. The campus seems like it's really buzzing for Christ, you know, it's kind of those kind of cool words you're using. As it kind of continued, my question was coming to the staff at Asbury and everything that was coming out from there seemed like it was genuine, but my concern was moving a little bit, kind of peaking a little bit with just how people were responding, how people were reacting. And I think that caused me to think, well, what is revival? What is it look like, not look like? How should we respond? So I kind of had a couple of different emotions. On a whole, I thought this is fantastic, but there were some concerns coming up. And I, I want to be clear, not with Asbury themselves, more just how people were reacting to it. Yeah, similar, because I didn't know. And a lot of times, you know, the reports you get are somewhat biased, or yeah. they're just a narrow slice of something, or you've got somebody who looks like they're connected saying something that's a little off, or somebody who looks like they're connected saying something that's awesome. And so, like, does this characterize the whole thing? Does this you know, how would we know? This is a, a subject I've been somewhat invested in, you know, for quite a long time, particularly when I was pastoring in New England and looking at the First Great Awakening and, and the history there and thinking like, gosh, you know, would the Lord do this again? Can mm. he do this again? And, you know, we took a number of Sundays, several months actually, where we spent our equipping group time, our Sunday school time on Sunday mornings, basically just prayer for revival. I thought, yeah. this is what we're going to do for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Not going to, you know, we're just going to spend that hour together praying for revival. People didn't understand that. They didn't yeah. get, you know, you know, they thought, is this just your way of getting out of, you know, preparing a Bible lesson? Or, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, no, this is a way of trying to prepare ourselves yes. for something that the Lord could do. Yes, you know, and so one of the questions that I think a lot of people asked is, if this was revival, how would we know? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times. Today, people assume revival is bound up in emotional experience of Mm -hmm. some kind, Mm -hmm. maybe charismatic experience of some kind. That was some of the skepticism, I think, around Asbury was like, oh, it's just a big worship concert or worship event, which turns out wasn't entirely true. But that's what the impression was. It's like, oh, these are just kids who are getting emotional during music. Is that revival? You know? Let's kind of question in on that worship side of things. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> my wife, uh, her family is from Wales. And so there's uh, obviously a historical Welsh revival, yeah. quite famous in the UK. And when we were doing a little bit of research ourselves on, on the Welsh revival, uh, one of the things that, that cropped up quite significantly was actually quite significantly it, it progressed because of worship. It progressed because of singing. And actually, Wales is very well known for a kind of great singing, great hymn singing. And in the Welsh Revival, it, it's noted that many people would hear the singing of chapels. They would hear people singing these great hymns loud, um, energetically. I'm not talking kind of uh, worship songs. I'm talking historical, rich theological hymns. And people were... Um, one attracted to that. Now it wasn't the the main source, but it was one great element to the Welsh revival is joining together in worship and praise through the singing of hymns, and that kind of helped progress from a few chapels to quite literally hundreds of chapels mm-hmm. through the valleys of of Wales. 
So I don't think necessarily worship itself is a negative. The question is about if it's only worship and therefore playing on the worship emotion, then is there a question mark there? Because in the Welsh Revival, there was much more going on. I'm sure we'll come on to it uh, on this podcast, but it wasn't just singing. That was one element. Yeah, you know, when I began looking, you know, in my New England days just to say, okay, you know, what happened during the first Great Awakening? What did they do, right? Is there a recipe for this sort of thing? Mm. And the answer, of course, is there's not a way, there's not a pragmatic way to get revival, contrary to, say, Charles Finney and Mm. some of the administrations of the second, you know, Great Awakening, where, you know, revival is the result of the you know, proper use of the constituted means or something like that is what Finney said. Basically, you can get this. You just have to do X, Y, and Z. You can't bring it on. But as I began to look at, for instance, Jonathan Edwards, one of the leading preachers of the First Great Awakening, and see, you know, how he analyzed this thing. Mm. And he wrote a great little book, Distinguishing Marks of a, a Move of the Spirit of God. And the emotional aspect of it, he lists in the beginning of his little book, he said, he lists these things. I forget what he calls them, but they're basically neutral signs. Mm. So things that could or may, you know, that may or may not accompany yeah. revival. And one of them is sort of emotional outpourings. Mm-hmm. He says that can come with revival, but just because you don't have it doesn't mean you're not experiencing mm-hmm. revival. And he also says just because you have it doesn't mean that it's revival, yes. actually. This is a, it's a neutral sign. And he lists like several other neutral signs as well. And what I was really interested in is, Okay, but what does Edward say? Like, if this is really from God, mm. what will it entail? Yes. And he has five m- marks. Sorry, nine marks <laughs> ministries. Edwards offers us five marks. And I, I, you know, I thought maybe we could kind of work through sure. some of those. And we've got some, some things as well. Um, the first one that he, he says is, true revival comes with an um, increased esteem for Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. a growing esteem for Jesus. Yeah. And I guess what we would say is if it's really a revival, Jesus will be at the center point yeah. of it. Yeah. It's not just pure emotionality. It's not vague mm. spirituality. There is explicit worship of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I was just reminded when you said that of our pastoral training center, Joseph was reading a book and it was talking about revival renewal. And one of the things it said in those books is that it refreshed something that was old, as in it was taking the church back to its original um, Christ and we're returning to that and Christ is at the center because the church doesn't exist without Christ. And so, yeah, I think that's almost foundational is that you're returning to a great great love and focus on Christ, which feeds into the emotions, which feeds into worship, which feeds into everything else. But also what often happens with the revival is salvations. Well, you can't have that unless you have Christ as the focus. That's right. So, yeah, absolutely. I would see that as foundational. I I, I love the idea of revival as it's certainly extraordinary compared to what we're used to, Mm -hmm. extraordinary move, that sort of thing. Acts 3.20, a time of refreshing has come. But I love the idea of revival as, as essentially an elevation to normal yes. Christianity, yeah. right? Like we're going along in the guise of really subnormal yeah. or suboptimal Christianity, yeah. and revival is just bringing us up to the place the, we ought, we to, ought be. to be. I mean, that's kind of Platt's thing with radical yeah. is that actually mm-hmm. radical isn't radical. It should be just this the daily normal. life yeah. of, of, of Christians. And actually, if you if you look at New Testament church, man, crazy things were happening. And I'm not talking like theological. I'm just talking about the fact that the church grew dramatically at the gospel being preached and lived out. And, um, you know, that's 
not necessarily something we see in individual churches now. Yeah. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm more just saying, as you say, it's not normative to go, hey, the Lord added 3,000 to our number today. <laughs> and yeah. it's that kind of that special, specific raising of Christ that brings with it all the things that Christ will bless with. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of leads into the second mark that Edwards lists. So the first one is a growing esteem for Jesus, that he's at the center of this thing. So, for instance... If you're a part of a movement or a, a worship experience that's very emotional, people are getting really ecstatically involved, energized, and it, but it, but there's not clear, explicit centrality of Christ involved. You know, okay, this is just kind of a we got the worship goosebumps going yep. on kind of thing. But the second mark, sort of, you know, dovetailing to what you were laying out there, is a discernible spirit of repentance mm-hmm. that there is a sense of conviction. And a turning from the old way, a turning from sin, there is confession of sin. To my understanding, this was occurring at Asbury. Yeah, I was about to raise that, that it was very much a a time of confession where students were confessing to one another. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so so Edward says that this is from top down, you know, or, you know, across the body from, you know, leadership and the laity – that there's just a palpable, discernible spirit of repentance. Martin Lloyd-Jones, speaking of Welsh mm-hmm. revivalists, or well, he wasn't a revivalist, but yeah, in any event, Welsh. And, I was a revivalist. He wrote on revival and was you know, often speaking about revival and I guess was part of a kind of revival, yeah. maybe you could say that. Yeah. Maybe just not in the way that we think of it normally. He talked about the outward and the inward yeah. sort of dimensions of revival, where it's not just the repentance of what's in the church, people mm. confessing their sin to each other, but there's actually an outward missional impact of evangelism, and yeah. there's people who are under conviction outside of the church. Edwards talks about this taking place as well. We tend to think, or I tend to think, that at that time, like, what's to be revived? Everyone's yeah. Christian back then, you know, yeah. everyone's, you know, super Christian. But no, Edwards talked about, you know, young people who are, you know, giving up frivolity mm. and coming into the life of the church. and. You know, people, you know, giving up the bars and yeah. all these sorts of things, the taverns, and coming to Christ. So there were, you know, there was secularization of, you know, you know, taking place back then. There were people who were not churchgoers, and that's always been the case. Yeah. It's not like we've ever had 100%, you know, gospel saturation. But you see the impact yeah. of revival on the church outside the walls of the church. That was the Welsh revival. So that's exactly what happened, is yeah. that, the, again, I'm using the word chapel uh, because essentially in Wales there were little chapels popping up uh, across all the villages and towns. That was what was happening, is the communities mm. themselves were drawn to uh, the Christ that was being worshipped. And in so doing, you were seeing a change amongst the Welsh people, amongst those valleys, amongst those kind of hard grafting, hard working people that were softening towards the message. And to do that brings confession and repentance. And so what you see inside, as you say, should be reflected outside. And again, just kind of reflecting back on Asbury, that's the thing that I was very difficult to, to see at a distance. Do you know, you were you were getting reports of the confession inside and the change right. inside. What we don't know is what was the extent of it going out. Now, we know lots of people traveled to it. We know lots of people went to it. But we, I, I mean, as far as I'm aware, in terms of what I read, I, I don't recall hearing about that kind of outward pouring into the community. I could be wrong. I'm yeah. just going to say I, d- I don't recall hearing that as an element. Yeah, and probably time will tell in some regards on every aspect of that, whether it's truly revival. It's hard to say in, mm. in the moment. What you can say is, oh, we can be optimistic. There's something that looks like the Lord is doing extraordinary yeah. there. We hope the fruit will be good. Yeah. But we have to give time. And we don't need to be overly you know, scrutinizing about that. Yeah. But for us to know if it's genuine is to say – 
are they being, you know, galvanized toward mission? Yeah. Are they, you know, are they having a heart? So yeah. this is another mark that Edwards gives is that there's a, an evident love for God and for neighbor. Yes. That it actually, the church has an outward posture, mm-hmm. that they're moved by whatever this experience is, this move of the Spirit, to actually follow the great commandment, <laughs> to love yeah. the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So there is the, the horizontal dimension mm-hmm. that proves the authenticity of the vertical yeah. dimension, that there is an evident love for neighbor. An insular church that's just about its own worship experience. Yeah. Or just about its own emotionality. Hey, we just go there every week to get our sort of, mm-hmm. you know, shot of, you know, Holy Spirit juice or yeah. whatever it is. That's not true revival. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually kind of preaching on this past Sunday. I was preaching Ruth 1 and Elimelech's response to the famine in Ruth 1, that he picked up his family and he just left. Mm. By the end of Ruth 1, we hear they go back and everyone's like, oh, that is that Naomi? And the thing that struck me was, We don't read of him helping the community. We don't read of him going to get food and taking it back. We don't read of anybody else leaving. We just read he took his family and he left. And I kind of drew the connection off. It didn't strike me as loving to his neighbors that that he wasn't doing anything. And so the point I was making is when our communities are facing trials, our response is not to close the door and lick our wounds inside. It's to open those doors and say, community, we're here to help. And again, that's an element of revival that we're saying, we don't want to hold this to ourselves. We love Christ. We love our neighbor. Let's go. And that might be just, you know, the church is feeding people or, you know, a point I've been making recently quite a lot is helping our elderly generation with their yard work and things through the summer, you know, just that outpouring of physical help, which will also bring opportunity to speak about the spiritual nature of our faith. And I think if a revival just builds up a church building and everyone's like, whoa, loads of people given, let's build a building and our attendance is up and isn't this great, but the community is none the wiser then I would argue that's probably not revival. That's just a kind of refreshment that the church has gone through. It's been a nice season, but it isn't really impacting their ministry. Yeah, I think in some of these sort of, you know, publicized or, you know, media-oriented or I wouldn't say oriented, but media-followed revivals, Mm -hmm. so to Mm -hmm. speak, is they become kind of a tourist attraction. You mentioned people coming to Asbury. And you wonder, like, are the people in the immediate community going, what are all these cars here for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, do they know that something's yeah. happening extraordinary? Is it actually coming outside those yeah. walls? Is it the epicenter of something or yeah. is it the entire, yeah. you know, a circumference of something? On that note, both you and I got slightly chided on Twitter because I think we <laughs> both shared the general view of we didn't really grasp why lots of kind of well-known names were jumping on planes and uh, and driving (laughs) and flying to Asbury because, again, it was that kind of... uh, They were saying, oh, we're going to report on it or we want to encourage them. But revival isn't about, hey, look what's going on here. Everyone flood to our door. It's more, praise God, he's doing this. Let's see what he's going to take us to. And I think the Asbury leadership did a really good job of of actually at one point saying, no, no more. This is a student thing. Stop traveling to this. And I know that we shared that view. And (laughs) I definitely got some messages. Did you? You know, oh, very much. You're trying to push the spirit out of what he's doing with my life and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, again, this comes back to that love of your neighbor 
sober is that if you're seeing that at a distance, rather than kind of driving there as a fellow Christian, it's kind of praying, man, I hope this spills out into the streets around that college. I, I really hope that people are seeing the cars, hearing the worship music and, and pull towards Christ. And more than that, just outside of the event, if you will, that as you say, it's kind of that outpouring into missions or, you know, you're, they've got evangelism teams now or whatever it may be. Yeah. The last two marks of Edwards' lists, I think, are really key to our modern conception, our modern understanding of what revival is because of this emotionality, because of so often the people who say they're experiencing revival tend to be in kind of the charismatic camp. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm personally not a cessationist, so I'm not trying to criticize all charismatics or continuationists. But yes, it, it tends to be in kind of the yeah. Pentecostal charismatic um, camp. Um, Edward says, if it's a real revival, there will be an increased devotion to God's Word. Mm-hmm. The Word of God will be central as Christ is central, that um, there will be a growing esteem for Bible study, for yep. Bible preaching, that you won't have preaching sort of pushed to the outset. In fact, the First Great Awakening, the Holy Spirit seemed to be using biblical preaching. That was yep. what brought about. There weren't worship bands. Yep. There weren't you know endless worship sets. There was singing, but it seemed to be the preaching of God's Word. And if you look back throughout church history, mm. the major moves of God in this way seem to be you know brought about through the you know, divinely ordained means of the preaching of God's word. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. I think of I think of Paul and his all night long preaching, and the guy falls out the window. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's the if you are talking about revival, you're talking about the things of God. You're talking about Christ. You're talking about where do we find Christ and who is Christ? He is the word. Therefore, we're going to delve deeper into it. And again, just a bit of history with the Welsh revival. Uh, a lot of people just assume it was the hymn singing and, and the worship, but actually very key to it was that it was word-centered. Bibles were always open. Bibles uh, were being taught through. Um, sermons were being preached wholeheartedly. And again, it was the dovetail. If we know Christ, we want to know more of him, therefore his word. And if we get to know more of him, we're going to worship him all the more. And if we worship him all the more, we're going to tell people the more. And it was like, if one of these are missing, then you're kind of missing a key part, really, of the Christian life. Yeah, that's right. And how can you miss a key part of the Christian life and then have a revival? It doesn't really make sense. And again, if we're seeing it as a, a return to something, you know, we're getting that elevated, what does it mean to live as a Christian is there anything greater than the return to Scripture? Yeah. No, there's not. I, I recall – so I was really interested in, you know, revival movements and revival experiences, as I said, for a long time. And when I was a young man, I remember listening to these worship albums that were a part of a charismatic revival, mm. you know, ministry. The albums, they, you know, ministered to me. I, I wouldn't agree totally with the theology and the way, you know, you know, some of those churches, you know, carried, you know, conducted themselves. But something stuck with me once. Some of these albums were live albums that that were recorded during worship services. Mm-hmm. And there, one of the worship leaders, as a song was ending, the worship leader was preparing the people for the preaching of God's Word. And he mm-hmm. said, we don't stop worshiping now. Yeah. We continue to worship as the Word of God yeah. is preached. And now that sermon wasn't in the recording, but that just stuck with me yeah. because I still was kind of working out my own ecclesiology mm. back then, and I was kind of coming out of the seeker stuff, and I was examining kind of the the Vineyard movement, for instance, yeah. and sort of like I, w- I was drawn to an experiential Christianity. Mm. Now, of course, I've you know 
found that elsewhere. Yeah. But that just really, I don't know, it, it just intrigued me. Oh, we keep worshiping during the preaching of yeah. God's Word. I'd never really even encountered that concept. I think, I'm just thinking of biblical examples here. I'm thinking about the letter of Galatians. Uh, it's the, what has led you away? Now, let me tell you the Word of God. Let me tell you what God's yeah. doing here. I'm also thinking of just Israel. The amount of times the people of God wandered and what brought them back oh, there's a scroll. It says something. Oh, it says something <laughs> right. really important. Yeah. And it's the Word of God is, if Christ is the fire itself, then the Word of God is that fuel that, that burns that in that sense. And I think the idea of having revival, that everyone's really excited about, it feels great, confession, repentance, but it just kind of falls flat. I would say it kind of falls flat probably because they haven't then gone to the Word of God and been in itself inspired because they're like, wow, God has given me all of this to learn more of him and to to live the life. Yeah, I mean, Ezekiel 37, I think, where, mm, where that's you know, it's the famous you know, valley of dry bones. And is that a picture of revival, perhaps? How are the bones brought back to life? How are they yeah. put breath in? Prophesy, yeah. you know, say to the bones, hear the word of the yeah. Lord, right? Yeah. It's the word of God that is animating. It's the word of God that is reviving. Mm. It's the word of God that gives life. Similarly, Edwards says, this is the, the, the fifth mark, number five, he says, true revival will bring with it a renewed interest in theology and doctrine, mm-hmm. which so many seem to set at opposition with real revival, this yeah. dry doctrine, you know, doctrinalizing and dry theology. You're never going to experience revival at those you know, theological <laughs> churches. And, and maybe that's true. But Jesus himself, you know, says we worship in spirit and in truth. Absolutely. These come hand in hand. You you can't jettison one in favor of the other. Yeah. Just as a spiritless truth is garbage, a truthless spirit is yeah. garbage. We need both of these things. And so we should see in um, the midst of real revival not just an interest in God's word, but knowing more of God and, and yeah. studying the you know knowledge of God and what does the word of God say about everything from A to Z? Yeah. Just a hunger to devote oneself to greater knowledge of God. It's also so countercultural because if you yeah. think about it, the culture will say if you're feeling good, then it must be good. As in, it doesn't matter about truth or the foundation of it. If it's giving you that great feeling, then press into it. Equally, you'll then get the opposite realm, which is the highly intellectuals that are like, actually, you need to know truth and this is how you truth and go over a thousand years and all these sciences and things. And I think it's the combination of those two things that we find in Christian revival of the beauty of the truth that you it's like your eyes are open to it, which then leads to this wonderful praise of our Lord Christ. And if it doesn't lead to the praise, then are you really seeing what's in the Word? And if your praise is without the Word, then are you really praising Jesus? Yeah, or, yeah, that's a good question. I, I saw something on Twitter today, and it was, I, I became a Christian when I was a teenager. I, I loved the singing and worship in my church. It was really fantastic. And then I went to a One Direction concert, and uh, <laughs> what I realized is I just love live music. Mm. And it dawned on me. That's what we've got to be careful of, not just going all truth and refuse the worship because, you know, that's the Pentecostal stuff, but also not all worship and refuse the word-based stuff because that's the Theo bros that do that. It's it's right. combining these two things together. Yeah. Imagine that. And imagine if we were more well-rounded oh, yeah. people, yeah. you know. 
And, you know, maybe for some this is sort of like the true sign of revival is that it puts you outside of or pushes you to embrace things that in your own flesh or mm. in your own wiring you would not embrace. So yeah. uh, I'm very skeptical of, you know, emotionality or spirituality. and I'm just about mm. the life of the mind. And then, you know, the move of the Holy Spirit comes about and I'm overcome. Like, what's yeah. happening to me? And, yeah. well, maybe it's you're learning how to love the Lord your God, not just mm. with all of your mind, but with all of your soul, and yeah. with all of your strength Absolutely. as well. And then for those who are all about emotion and they're sort of like, eh, I'm not about all that dry doctrine. That uh, who, who wants to go to you know, Midwestern Baptist Theological Cemetery, and <laughs> that's where all the dry bones go. And then suddenly there's a move yeah. of the Holy Spirit, and you're thinking, whoa, man, God's Word is coming alive, yeah. and I just want to know so much more about, yeah. about theology. That's good stuff. All right, so just to review, these are Jonathan Edwards' uh, five marks. Just uh, Marks distinct an increased devotion to God's Word, an interest in theology and doctrine, and love for God and neighbor. Mm. That's what... He thinks revival looks like. We tend to agree. Maybe there's some other mm. signs, but that's what revival looks like. Man, it's good talking with you. I got a couple of practical questions. Oh, you got practical yeah, questions? Yeah, I got some practical. I he's mean, like, we're at minute 34. He's wrapping up. Well, give me quick answers. Man, you're – okay. Uh, I was going to try to you for like it's 8 a.m. You've already been on Twitter. He's like, <laughs> I saw on Twitter. I was like, man, this is too early. For <laughs> two, two quick things. You mentioned about praying for revival consistently okay. for a week. And I'm yeah. also thinking that a lot of churches, often in a rural context, will do revival meeting week. Oh, right. So just, just yeah. a comment on the practical side of – we talked that might be what is revival. Yeah. Little comment on the practical side. Should you pray a week-long prayer for revival? Should you have, quote, revival meetings? Are they it was longer actually than a revival? Week. I mean, we did it for our Sunday school hour for like a couple of months, maybe longer. Because I can totally weeks. buy into the prayer for it. God, bring yeah. that visitation No, I don't us. like the scheduling of it. I don't like the use of the word. I mean, it's not a bit... It's a biblical concept, but there's no like biblical passage mm. like this is what revival is. So yeah. people use it in different ways, but I get because of my background, I yeah. get a little bit antsy when someone is saying revival in three weeks, we're putting up a tent. Yeah. I don't think the Holy Spirit's going like, Oh, is that when that is? you know. <laughs> like if you schedule it, yeah. he's going, Oh, all right, you know, that you're obligating him. Yeah, I, I don't think you can put it on the calendar. Yep. But you could call it something else, you know. But the way people use the word revival meeting sometimes just means we're doing a Bible conference or we're having an evangelistic event. Yeah. You know, I wish they'd change the nomenclature, but in practice, I, I, you know, I, it's not that egregious. I just don't – yeah, I think we should be more careful about our wording. But the idea that you could say we're going to have a revival every year, you know, you know, it's revival week or this is the revival yeah. meeting, yeah, that to me is sort of not good. That's pragmatism at work. I fully agree. So okay. <laughs> no, no need to discuss. I okay. fully agree. That's okay. why I was raising it, because I think yeah. when you think revival, a lot of people will just think the revival week. Oh, right. And I think okay. it's just important to realize that's yeah. not what we're talking about here. It's not yeah. planned. It's not scheduled. Yeah, it's... I grew up going to church that had a revival every summer, yeah. and consequently, we never had revival. Yep. We just had a big tent that people would come to, yep. and, and there'd be a traveling evangelist that'd come preach. And, and I'm sure... There were people genuinely converted through mm -hmm. that, you know, the preaching of the gospel. The gospel never does nothing. Yeah. But yeah, the idea that you can put revival on your, your calendar or on a sign or yeah. whatever and you're going to get revival um, is contrary to actually historically and biblically what revival is. Yep. Yeah. Is there another practical question? No, that was it. That, that was, was it. it. I, won't, okay. <laughs> I won't jump in next time. I'll let you finish. Okay. Well, if you enjoy the podcast, your listener, you can give us a good review or a bad review. Maybe you want to correct us on revival and say what we should have said. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. 
You can do that on social media. You can give us a good star review on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.